if you interpret it as an outsider, you'd say he failed. He bought the course and he didn't use it. What a punk. What a lazy piece of crap, right? You wouldn't know that I actually succeeded. Okay, I bought this course and I took a look at it and said, okay, this is enough. I don't need to be doing this anymore. I'm buying these things and I'm not using it. Let me devote my time somewhere else. Hey, it's Jason Flatlin here. You're listening to The Jason Flatlin Show, where I'll be sharing everything from sales and webinar tips to improving productivity and reaching your infinite potential. Jason Flatlin here, and here's a question for you. Why do most people who buy most courses fail? And specifically in the money-making space, it's something like 98% failure rate. They buy a course on how to make money, and they fail 98% of the time. My answer to that is very interesting. And before I dive into it, let me tell you where this is coming from. My boy, Steve here is one of the people on my email list, by the way, you should be on it. I don't know how you get on it, but you can figure that out. And I asked him a question. If I could shoot a YouTube video on anything specifically that you want an answer for, what would it be? And then Steve says, I've taken a bunch of different IM programs and I love learning. So internet marketing, that's I am. One thing I noticed time and again is regardless of the course, something like 90 to 95% of people fail myself included occasionally. They either never get started, they quit halfway, they get a small taste of success, and then they don't follow through and turn it into a real business. Then he says, not sure if it's laziness, motivation, poor discipline, or unrealistic expectations of their capability, but I see this over and over again. I guess the short question, if I'm allowed one, is why do so many people fail in their online marketing efforts? All right, Steve, I like it. First of all, what he's saying is true if we measure failure from the perspective of a dollars and cents amount. So if somebody says, hey, listen, here's a thousand bucks, they take your course and they make less than a thousand dollars from that perspective, they have failed. That's not the only perspective that we can view it from. But before we get into viewing it from the other perspectives, let's really dive into some of the reasons he lists and determine how much, if any, those contribute to failure. So he says laziness, not sure if it's laziness. Here's my viewpoint on this, and it is not the normal viewpoint. I think most people are not lazy. I think a majority of people who buy courses, whether from me or from you, or if you're buying courses, I don't think you're lazy mostly. Okay. There's a few lazy people. I think less than 2% of people who are buying like information products and self-improvement products are lazy because most people don't even read books. And these people are willing to hunker down and go through a course. And so I don't think it's laziness that stops most people. I think we think it's laziness, but the reality is most people who are buying a course, they're already trying to cram 26 hours into a 24 hour day. And now they're adding on top of it. There's a fundamental flaw. It's a bias cognitively that we all suffer from. We're programmed this way. It is a flaw in our operating system. Unless you go in and rewire the operating system, you are guaranteed to be limited in this way. And the flaw is addition is easier than subtraction. What I mean by that is we can see things more easily as we add them to our plate. But the negative, the negation, what isn't there, we can't see that. So we tend to discard that. We tend not to think about that. So Sherlock Holmes, famous story where he solves a case and they said, how did you solve it? And he says, the dog didn't bark. We are trained to hear the barking, which is a positive stimulus and acknowledge it. We are not trained and it's very easy for us to forget what doesn't happen. So the media does this all the time, especially before the advent of the internet. What they didn't publish in the newspaper was far more important than what they did publish in the newspaper. But you don't know what they didn't publish. You have this positive bias. You only see what's in front of you, which is a small circle of data versus the wide circle of data of what 
isn't there. And so what we don't see is when people buy our courses is the 50 million other obligations that are hanging over their head. We don't see the ways in which they're being pulled in multiple directions simultaneously. We just see somebody coming into a course and not using it. And they're over leveraged. Now, to their credit too, or to their discredit, I should say, it's hard for them to understand what should I first remove in my life before adding new things to it. That is not a normal way that most people think. So I have disciplined myself and begin to practice subtraction before addition. Before I add anything to my plate, I first attempt to remove existing things. And I try to remove even more things that I'm going to add to replace them to make my life simpler and simpler. So now the kind of one, two, the Pavlonian response is if I add anything, it's because I first removed multiple things and my life should theoretically get easier. Now I'm not the best at it. I'm still learning, but that's the attitude here. So I don't think it's laziness for most people. For a small fraction of people, it may be laziness, but unlikely. The people that are lazy are the ones that aren't even willing to go through the buying process to begin with. What about motivation? Now, motivation is very interesting. Uh, at a biological level, the problem with, with motivation is you have so much dopamine you can spend. And then once it's spent, it needs to be replenished before you can spend it again. And so it's a mismanagement of dopamine more often than anything else. That is the case. It's not that the person is or isn't motivated. It's the current things that their dopamine gets spent on get in the way of the things that they want to do. And dopamine is like a drug. It is a drug. And being addicted to dopamine over here means you have to overcome this addiction over here before you can invest the dopamine in this thing over there. And the cheap dopamine is the stuff that is easy up front, but it costs you in the long term. So looking at a screen scrolling endlessly, that's easy. You get your dopamine first and then you pay the price second. Better habits are the ones where you pay the price first and you get the dopamine second. So working out really hard and then getting the dopamine afterwards. You do an ice bath and afterwards your dopamine goes up significantly, but you got to pay the price first. And so right now what's happening is a lot of people have a biological disruption that needs to be corrected and they simultaneously have to correct this disruption and put the effort into the information product. It's really tough to do that, right? So we can say it's poor discipline and maybe it is and maybe it isn't. I think saying something lacks discipline or someone lacks discipline is a highly oversimplified way of viewing the problem. I think it's a reductionist argument that says you just need to focus more. You just need to try harder. You just need to put yourself to it. If we went to Dave Goggins and we were able to study him and we could put him in different situations and we would find him hesitating and where he would lack complete discipline, I guarantee it, everybody who's a human being, Jocko Willink, right? We could find situations we could put him in where he would not be able to prosper. No matter how great and how disciplined he is in A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. And that's because a lot of us, there's so many things in our life that we have been delaying and that we don't do that we need to do. And some of us have been able to figure out how to function outside of those things or how to put them off indefinitely or how to have them not hold us back. Some of us are smart enough to gravitate towards our strengths either because of deliberate thought process or just through natural intuition. And so for a lot of people, it's the conditions, they haven't arranged them to allow the disciplines to occur over time. So like a Cameron Haynes talked about, he couldn't run a mile and now he could run 240 miles. 
and that over time you develop the discipline through routine, through structure. The only problem with that is it takes a while. It takes a long time and then it becomes effortless and that's an issue. So he says, unrealistic expectations of their capabilities. That's probably the best thing that I would say that was on that list of why there's such a quote unquote low success rate is that people overestimate what they could do in a short period of time and they underestimate what they can do over a longer period of time. And that's going to be harder and harder. And by the way, it's because the environment that we've cultivated societally has made it optional for us to be able to understand long-term investments. <laughs> Before it was really clear. You wake up, you're freezing cold. Uh, what do you do? You got two options. You either tough it out or you get up and you chop wood. It's an activity that requires lots of effort. You didn't have any option. Your options were suffer or put a lot of effort in. But these days you wake up, you don't even have to get out of your bed to adjust the thermostat. You might have one of these smart thermostats. You just get on your phone and say, okay, cool. I'm going to adjust it from my bed. Now, no effort and the reward. And that has now started to generalize into all activities where the expectation becomes, I put in very little effort and I get a lot of reward. And there's a lot of biology. I don't think it's a character flaw per se. I think there is some nurture involved, but I think now this has become nature, natural. And so some of these are issues. But I think the biggest problem here is how we define success. There are many products that I have purchased Okay, I'll run you through all the ways in which I have quote unquote failed at the products that I've bought, but they have served me well. One way is I bought a product, I didn't use it because I took a look at it and say, this ain't for me. But it required me buying it first to make the determination to eliminate this from my life. If I didn't buy it, it would have not motivated me to say, what am I doing with this thing? I don't need this. It put me in that state of mind. So if you interpret it as an outsider, you'd say he failed. He bought the course and he didn't use it. What a punk. What a lazy piece of crap, right? You wouldn't know that I actually succeeded. Okay, I bought this course and I took a look at it and said, okay, this is enough. I don't need to be doing this anymore. I'm buying these things and I'm not using it. Let me devote my time somewhere else. Success, as far as I'm concerned. So that's the first thing. The second thing is I look at some of the wins in my life and they came because I stitched together a little from product A, a little from product B, a little from product C, a little from product D, and a little from product E. Now, the question is, if we remove one of those products, do I still succeed or not? And the answer is, in some instances, I do not. I needed a little bit from each of those products. And if I had missed any one of those products, I wouldn't have gotten the breakthrough otherwise. And so how do you measure that? Is that a success or is that a failure? You could look at that and say, well, listen, he didn't have a success from buying those four courses, so he failed and he only had the success when he bought the fifth course, so that one gets all the credit. Or maybe none of them get any credit because nobody could tell where it came from. And you might not even be aware of where it came from. We have this other bias called the recency bias. That which you can recall that's happened to you recently gets overvalued. So you tend to look at only the product that you just consumed and you don't realize that the person you were who consumed the product is different because of all the prior products you had consumed previous to that. So that's another one where if you looked at it from the outside, you'd say if there's a failure there when there isn't a failure. I will tell you, there are other things from information products that I have gotten massive wins from that have nothing to do with the promise of the product itself. So I would learn something from a product that I wouldn't use, but I would see, oh, I like how they structured the model over here. And then I would take that structure and I would apply it in a different area of my life. 
lateral thinking, right? And I would not necessarily even notice that for weeks, months, or years where I'd say, oh, interesting. I see. Okay, now I can give that person credit. It would just happen naturally. A lot of this stuff happens underneath the conscious level. And so being exposed to good ideas on a repeated basis, I don't think you lose if you continually do that. If you are constantly putting yourself in a state where enlightenment can occur and upliftment can occur, fantastic, right? And so these are some of the reasons why I think there isn't a low success rate for people who buy these products, even if they don't necessarily consume them. Sometimes an identity shift happens when you purchase something and you say, I bought this, therefore I now look at myself differently, whether you look at the product or not. Now, of course, if you're buying products and then you're feeling really bad afterwards and you have this negative feedback loop that occurs, then that can cut. That will undermine you and that will harm you. And then you have to reevaluate, okay, what's really going on here, <laughs> which is kind of important. But you need to be in tuned with who you are as an individual as you go through this process. That's why it's really important to step back some time and take stock. You say, what did I learn from this that I can invest in the next experience? So where can I take stock of these different products and what can I determine? How can I be a better buyer as I move forward? Or how can I set up conditions so I can be more successful in the future than I am right now? And man, Jim Rohn used to say the book you miss can't help. So I don't want to miss the books that can help. So I have a process that I go through where I'm always learning something new and I'm always investing in myself. And that was true when I was broke. And that's true today when I was rich. Because to me, curiosity and the desire to learn, that's a character skill. That's a tribute. That is not a win or lose state. So if I'm always putting myself in a position to learn more, that is a win 100% of the time. But with that said, most often people have to be sold the biggest picture to get excited enough to even attempt to think about taking this step forward. And the promise has to be there often to get people to move away from being stuck in a rut. And so that's how you can kind of reconcile it. You've got to paint a pretty picture. You've got to make tomorrow look very exciting. Otherwise, somebody's not going to put in the work today. But at the same time, you got to love that person no matter what they do. And if you start to look at your people that you're trying to help as failures, it's going to become a lot harder for you to connect with them. It's going to become a lot harder for you to serve them. And maybe it's a trick that we play on ourselves. Maybe I'm tricking myself here when I say this, but I see these opportunities where I look at these people and say, okay, now they're in a position to better themselves. Now they're in a position to win in all these other ways, regardless of whether the finances come fast or slow. And by the way, how big is the timeline you're measuring? So most of us have too small of a timeline that we measure. I had a win recently from a product that I bought 12 years ago and that I never properly used. But recently there was an opportunity that showed up and I said, oh, I know what to do here. And so for the first time in 12 years, I put the product to use and it was a major win for me. So over what timeline are we measuring to determine success or failure as well?
These are all things that you need to think about. But hopefully something in here shook true for you because if you're beating yourself up saying, I took the class and I did nothing with it. I didn't even open the shrink wrap from the package. When it came, I got a treadmill that's now a different extension where I can hang clothes off of it. Hey, listen, you did the best you could with the advice and the information and who you were as a person at that time. And now what do we know that we didn't know before? And how can we invest that into the next experience? That's the win there. You should try to help your people understand that and you should live it yourself. Steve, I hope this was helpful to you. And for anybody else as well, let me know in the comments. I'll see you in the next video. Hey, Jason Flatland here. Thanks for listening to my podcast. If you found this helpful at all, please leave me a review. And thanks again and stay tuned for future episodes.